Democracy is a broad set of ideas that serve as the centerpiece of the Western way of life. It is a system hard fought for and something the West is committed to defending. Yet, for all of the support and attention it gets, it is not a clearly defined idea. America especially has promoted the idea of we the people. Lincoln is reputed to have spoken about a government of the people, by the people for the people, but there is no indication he ever bothered to define what this meant, though we assume he was referring to the American Republic. It can be dangerous to speak out about the negative elements of democracy. Democracy and freedom are intrinsically linked in the minds of Western peoples. In America especially, to be critical of capitalism is to be a communist and to be critical regarding democracy is to be a fascist or autocrat. But democracy in its simplest expression is nothing more than a group making a decision by means of a show of hands. In theory, it is a term that associates virtue with the majority opinion. But if truth is not defined by majority votes and justice not decided by mobs, why is the character of a nation best decided by a show of hands? What is the virtue of an idea held by the most persons? All progress is produced by individuals thinking that conventional opinion was wrong. In ordinary life, democracy plays only a minor role. We either do not use it at all, or if we do, it is only when the result does not matter. We might vote for what toppings will go on a pizza or what brand of beer to purchase. No one uses a poll to decide which yacht to buy or to determine in which state the family home will be purchased. If democracy is the best of all possible political systems, why are there different types of democracy? The most basic model is direct democracy. Questions are asked in hands, expressions of assent, colored balls, or some other form of vote counting decides the outcome. The strong and weak point with direct democracy is that decisions are made based on a single factor. But how do we distill complex issues down to a single question with a yes or no response? If we are deciding on which beer to buy, direct democracy works fine. If we are deciding on whether to ban guns, the voting would likely bring about a civil war. If an even more complex question is asked, such as how to invest a large sum of money or which commercial building to purchase, the debates will be endless and devolve down to ever smaller minutiae. We ought to note that the original form of what we call democracy was closer to what moderns call plutocracy. The wealthy landed aristocracy were the only ones who had a vote and they often voted by funding their choice. They were the providers of public services as well as the major business interest and government. Athenian government was an oligarch. Democracy as we know it developed from powerful landed interests vying for power against the British monarch. First the nobles got a share of the power, then the powerful commercial interests of the newly minted capitalist class, then property owners in general, the men who owned farms and houses and small business, and finally all men got the vote. In the last period of time, women were given the vote. Most people see this as a gradual extension of the people's rights. Because democracy is defined as the rule of the people, it is surmised the people want to wield power. That this is impossible does not dissuade people from attempting to achieve the power they think they are entitled to under democracy. The people, as they are called by Democrats, have no more right to rule than a monarch. The right to rule is simply a way to articulate that the existing power structure cannot stop the challenger from gaining a voice in how the government operates. 
If the philosophical arguments do not persuade you there is no such thing as we the people, then the fact there is no human race might convince you. Indeed, if there was a thing that could be identified as the people, democracy would not be needed. The creature could make its choices known and elections would be unnecessary. The concept of we the people has become easier to challenge with the increased political polarization. The left and right are not only polarized on the basis of policy, the right and left are further divided on the basis of what they represent. The left represents the educationally indoctrinated urban office worker. The right represents the industrial worker and farmer. These even occupy different geographies. The left has captured the urban areas and abandoned the rural farms and small-town America, which is where the right gets its strength. But what is democracy if it hardens division and polarizes opinion? Theory explains democracy as a way for the average person's voice to be heard. When the debates are over and the time comes, an election is held to see which side made their case. But this is not what happens. Democracy is not, when looked at closely, about issues, it is about culture. It is about race and two distinct ways of thinking about reality. No debate can change ethnicity. No argument will cause anyone to abandon their culture. These political differences are superficial. There is something deeper going on here. Democracy is a proxy war. An election is not about if we need more police and less social welfare checks. It is about two diametrically opposed ideologies or cultures. It's a war between two races of people with disparate ideas about truth, reality, and right and wrong. We have labeled these two ideologies radicalism and extremism. The dividing line is between whether we have absolute rights over what we create or if the needs of the group overshadow personal rights. Do rights pertain to the individual or are they human rights attached to all persons? Where do one's rights begin and end? They either end where the wallet of the other person begins or they are corporate and equally apply to all. If rights are individual, the individual is the sole arbiter of them. If the right is corporate, then there must be an administrative body. People may think it odd that the left is aggressively democratic. The ultimate objective of the left is communism. But the left wants the vote extended to more and more groups. This expansion of the electorate seems alien to communism, but it is simple to understand why this impression is false. To understand why the left wants unrestricted, universal voting, imagine if the vote was restricted. Who would it be restricted to if the electorate was strongly curtailed? A slightly curtailed vote would limit the vote to males. A more restricted vote would permit only male property owners to vote. It is this that provides the greatest barrier to socialism, fascism, and communism. Democracy gives the indignant a key to your home, a card to access your bank accounts, and a gate into your property. A path into the property of the middle class is the carrot socialists dangle before the disposed. A key that opens the locks of the middle class encourages the poor to give the left power in an election. But property owners have little interest in government apart from having a state that will protect their property from the left. This is their Achilles heel. Democracy may seem to be an equal struggle between those who want what others have and those who want to protect their property from the incursions of others. But in fact, this same need for government gives a strong advantage to the left. Democrats and the devil face the same problem. They are indignant. They own nothing. 
and Eden Satan wanted to corrupt Adam and Eve, but he had nothing to dangle before them other than what God forbid them. The devil implied Adam and Eve had a right to what did not belong to them. He feigned outrage at the prohibition placed on them, as if they were being unjustly prevented from enjoying the very best the garden had to offer. The implication is they had a right to the property belonging to God. All governments face this same dilemma. Property owners want the state to protect their property, but the only way governments can do this is by confiscating a portion of it. But the dilemma does not end there, because the more wealth the rich concentrates in their hands, the greater the unrest of the poor. To tamp down on this rebellion, the state must confiscate even more wealth from property owners. The more protection private property owners want, the more wealth the state must expropriate to placate the indignant and keep unrest down to manageable levels. When Satan tempted Jesus, he takes Jesus up to a high mountain to show him the kingdoms of the world. Jesus did not mock the offer of Satan because Satan does own the world's governments. They are all demonic. The high mountain Satan stood on signaled his dominion over the kingdoms of the earth. Like Satan, governments can give us nothing they did not first expropriate. We are to serve only God. But like the devil, we have nothing to give, at least nothing physical. Naked we came and naked we leave the earth. Nothing that is physical belongs to man. It was all created by God for his glory, and we cannot add or take anything away from his creation. But governments must find some way to have leverage over the body of Christ. Governments own our physical identity, the identity that is on all your government documents in capital letters. What the physical identity owns, the government owns, once removed. Democracy is a way to make God's people complicit in Satan's takeover of the planet. If you vote for the government, you are complicit in their illicit claims on the planet. If you do not vote, you are complicit the same way because you permitted the government to be elected. Democracy does not permit innocence. If you are in a democracy, you are complicit in everything the state does. Everything the state does has costs, and every cost governments create must be extracted from the wallets of those who produce the wealth. What must be understood is that assets are not wealth, they are the property of God. Wealth is equity. Wealth is the value added to assets through work. Evil creates costs, but does not pay them. Evil extracts wealth from the wallets of the productive, but it has nothing to recompense the ones deprived of their wealth. The only thing men own is what men produce, that is equity. The state adds no value because it does not work. The state is an agent of evil and a burden on the productive. The state asserts humans have rights and then assigns itself the task of protecting these rights at a cost. Regulating what we do justifies the state's imposition of duties on its subjects. But duties are a contradiction of rights. Rights are nothing more than a justification the state uses to contravene your right to the equity you created. Only the church gives the believer full rights to his or her equity. Because the church is not demonic. The church does not expropriate wealth. In the church, the believers do works of faith to build up the church of God. These works of faith add value to the assets of God. Therefore, believers do not own assets we add value to. We own the value added to these assets by our works of faith. Works of faith are works done at the behest of fellow believers. Works done in faith is a synonym for actions done in the environment of the church or family of believers. 
This is why it is so important for believers to separate from Babylon. Christians are to work in faith to build up believers, not the satanic system of a democratic government that expropriates the wealth of the believer.